Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, good evening, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, event sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and your commodore of cocktails. Hey, thanks for uh, spending Saturday night with me right here in 570 KVI, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. every Saturday night. It's a good way to relax if you're driving someplace uh, for a restaurant um, or, you know, even if you're doing chores, go to the website. You can find our podcasts, uh, or I should say the broadcast is then up there, and you can listen to the podcast and listen anytime. Got over 140 shows. Uh, check out happyhourradio.net. You'll learn all about the world of wine, beer, spirits, cocktails, food, events, and education from around the world. And uh, if you're into that, I got to invite you to this big event coming up. It's in July. It's called Psalm Summit, July 9th, 10th, 11th, over at the Seattle South Seattle College campus. That's the home of the Northwest Wine Academy and a really strong culinary um, uh, department and hospitality school. Uh, we're hosting an International Wine and Spirit Symposium. It's two and a half days. Uh, it starts late in the morning and goes till, you know, twilight. And in July, Seattle is a beautiful place. You got the sun and the, the long nights and hopefully the warm. And uh, with all this rain we've had this year, I know it's we're going to be, uh, we've got some credits for some sun. So, uh, SomSummit.com, you can uh, indulge your palate and your brain and experience wines from Bordeaux, South Africa, uh, Spain, Washington. We've got Quilcita Creek coming to pour and learn some new areas. There's, uh, we have Napa, the uh, BC, and New Zealand. So, lots to do. We've got uh, spirit seminars, uh, beers of the world with our local um, beer expert, Charles Finkel of Pike Brewery. And uh, you'll learn, you know, network and uh, have have a great time. It's it's open to sommeliers, wine professionals, tasting room people, and of course collectors and aficionados. So uh, it's somsummit.com, July 9th through 11th. And I can tell you that uh, DeLille Cellars will be there pouring out a trade tasting reception, which is always a good sign because they make great wine, have been doing so for 25 years, and I think they've really had uh, three winemakers. I know Chris Upchurch is the founder winemaker, and he's now still the executive, I don't know what they call it, producer, uh, the emeritus, but uh, they've got a young man who came from the East Coast and is now in uh, well-seated in the driver's seat. His name is Jason Gorski. And he has Duke graduate, and he made some cool wines back east in New Jersey. We're going to learn all about it. So, Jason Gorski, hey, welcome to Happy Hour. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited about it. Uh, I introduced you as a Duke uh, Blue Devil, and somehow you're from New Jersey, or did you... I'm from New Jersey. So you yeah. must have been smart to go to Duke, right? Something like that. <laughs> but then they say, but you got in the wine business. Well, yes, but smart means I followed my heart. That's what it means, because now you're in the biz. You made wine. What was the first wine you made? Oh geez, uh, 2002 vintage. Uh, we'd made hybrids, uh, native varietals, and fruit wine, sparkling wine. We did a port style while I was there. It was uh, it was great to make. I mean, for a 3,500 case winery, I think we made 16 wines, which is crazy. But uh, got to see a whole bunch of different varietals and make a bunch of different blends. It was um, a lot of stuff. I you know. A lot of it's transferable to, to Washington, even if the varietals are not. So, Well, you're still working with fruit that has to be grown in the vineyard to be really quality fruit. Now, some of the, the 
hybrids. Um, what are some of the names? I know that we don't see those out here because we have the soil and, and we you know our own rootstock and great conditions, except for that freeze, which happens every six or seven years. Yeah. What were some of the grapes that uh, you used? Oh, jeez. Uh, Saval. Saval, Vidal. Vidal. Uh, Chambersan, Baco Noir. Scoopernong. Norton. I didn't, I didn't work with either one of those. No? But yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a million of them. In the Chambersan, you Chambersan, said? Chambersan, yeah, Baco yeah. Noir. Uh, those are the two that I remember. It just seems like a, a lifetime ago. At this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you, what drew you to Washington? Did you say, you know what, uh, I need to work with Vitus Unifra? <laughs> yeah, I actually had a uh, my second year in New Jersey uh, sort of revitalized the, the, the vineyard, and then we got a, a hard rain right before harvest, and whatever the birds didn't get was not in the best shape, and I it was heartbreaking. At that, that was, point, I was ready to – I was kind of ready to move on anyway, but <laughs> that was maybe – that was just – that was – we're really spoiled in Washington. Let me just put it that way. We well, know, we, you're spoiled in eastern Washington because obviously you're yes, in the west. Uh, this the west is true. I did we, not choose the Puget Sound AVA to, to grow in yet. Which was the number four AVA here in Washington State. Yeah, there you go. 1995. And, uh, so when I knew it was time to move on from New Jersey, I really I knew I wanted to go to the West Coast, and I felt, you know, California, it ends up you start over no matter what, but um, Napa <laughs> seemed a little bit uh, maybe out of my price range. Intimidating? A little intimidating, yeah, sure. And I uh, had some had some friends um, that were here in Seattle and you know my, my girlfriend at the time said hey can you make wine and and Washington I said sure I'll get a job at Chateau Saint Michel sure you know that this was you know Royka at its prime and oh yeah um, moved out here without a job took me a couple months I interviewed all over but yeah and ended up at uh, Chateau Saint Michel for the 04 harvest and just just hauling hoses learning everything I could uh, but you know, just wanted my foot in the door and was willing to do whatever it took. But that's that's kind of an honest way to um, embrace your craft and that desire to learn more. Is, is if you don't haul the hoses, you don't know how to do it right. You can't tell somebody if they're doing it wrong. So you have to do that. And the hoses, you know, that little bacteria sitting in that hose yeah. could ruin your all your great knowledge and and uh, efforts. Yeah, when I was first learning about it, I I really just got bit by the bug and read everything I could, but. One of the things that really stuck with me was a story about what champagne houses look like. And if you're the heir to the champagne house, the first thing you do is fill the trucks with the finished wine. You don't get, you're not allowed anywhere near blending. You're not certainly not allowed anywhere near blending. You're not allowed to even really help make the wine. It really, they want you to understand that everything we do in the winery is important. And yeah. I really embrace that. And um, and I, with my background in science, I probably could have tried to get into you know the the driver's seat through the lab, but that's just not what I wanted to do. And, and my personality type is one I like working with my hands. I like to do that, um, and it's really fulfilling in the winery to be able to do that. So having having started from the most basic of jobs, um, <laughs> and I still clean the first press every year, and um, you know make make sure that I. I let my team know that I'm willing to do everything. I had a, uh, an intern last year that was just in awe that I punched down so much. He was just like, I thought I'd never see you. Oh, well, that's not that's not how we do it at the little and it's not how I would ever do it. Um, you know, this, this is the most important time. It is, absolutely. And it's it's not necessarily the easiest when you're a big grown-up winery, if you want to call it that. Um, and um, it's just where you put your priorities. And for us at the it's all about handcrafting. We don't want that to change. Uh, it's what we've been doing for 25 years. So really, what we we try to do is, you know, emulate back in the day when we made 10 barrels. I mean, even though we do significantly more than that now. Was there a back in the day with just 10 barrels? There was a back in the day. I I joke with Chris all the time. I say, <laughs> hey, that's that stack. You know, your first vintage was that stack plus those two barrels, and our our rows just keep going now. Um, I remember when we had uh, uh, Chris. Uh, well, um, 
Greg Lill on the show. But I was talking to Chris, and he said he started making sparkling wine. I think that's what they. they yeah, up- yeah. I, some of that back. They, you know, I don't know if they <laughs> they don't talk about it as much as they used to or whatever. But yeah, they, they used to buy a whole bunch of fruit. Uh, Kent Wallace told me they they got like fifty tons off of Sagemore, you know, long before Delil existed. So these guys have been together and yeah. and, and brokering brokering grapes and and making Jay wine Soloff, for yeah. a heck of a long time. Yeah, and you, you know. Forget about that. Sometimes that it, it's the, the roots go go deeper than the the quarter century. That's so the, fun. I just had Kent Walser on the show last month, and uh, you know I really respect Sagemore Vineyards, and and as much as long as I've been in the wine industry, which has been I really can say I started in '97. Um, I saw Kent Walliser through the years. He was just, I thought, well, it's a big family. I know his uh, cousin, uh, Tom Walliser, and, and Walla Walla. But the Walliser family and their their philosophy, Washington is is uh, it's down to earth. I mean, it's or it's down to Los or down to Basal, whatever you want to call it. It's yeah. just real people working the working the land, and that's what those generations did. So that that work ethic was instilled. Obviously, we um, are lucky to have such a uh, will. Um, labor force, uh, although they're not always as accessible as we'd like. Obviously, there's uh, much to do about uh, uh, you know the future of some of these positions that I can tell you are not advertised as showing the happy, happy American doing no harvesting right. asparagus. Um, but I'm speaking with Jason Gorski, the uh, sixth the winemaker for Delil Cellars. What's your official title? Winemaker. Yeah. All right, uh, WMD winemaker. I like that we got to do. What's the D going to stand for? Ah, I don't know. I was thinking it was winemaker dinner, but um. winemaker dinner. That's it. Um, and so you from from New Jersey uh, to uh, Seattle, and then to actually because you you actually came to Seattle first. You were at the Woodenville. Yes, I made wine, uh, white wine at Chateau Saint Michel, starting in '04. Yeah, uh, moved east for a little bit. I made wine in Walla Walla for a while, Spring Valley. Yeah. Up another Chateau Saint Michel property. Another Chateau Saint Michel property, which is, uh, you know, I always tell this story. I feel really, really blessed that, that when I was first learning about Washington, you know, probably drinking late '90s, um, when it was illegal for me to be doing that. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it was a Royka and Spring Valley's Uriah. And when I first moved to Washington State, it was the pipe dream that I would ever get a chance to make an Royka or a Uriah. And within six years, I had done both. And um, you know, Delil wasn't for whatever reason wasn't on my radar at the time, but it's it's been a it's been a terrific landing spot for me for the past what's almost seven years now. And interesting enough, uh, how many AVAs does Delil source the fruit? Let me tell you, it's it's Yakima, it's uh, Horse Seven from Shampoo. No, you guys don't do Shampoo. No, I, uh, Discovery Vineyard though, Maze Discovery. So yeah, and of course Red Mountain. Yep, uh, we do get a little bit of Waluk now as well. Oh, and uh, is that Stone Tree? No, uh, St- uh, Stone Tree and uh, Sagemore Winebow. Yeah, and uh, oh, that's right. Sagemore Bacchus is Columbia Valley. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so we're um, our two uh, largest production wines, D two and Chalor Blanc, are both Columbia Valley. Even though both of them could be Yakima by just a couple percentage, they're just off by a couple. Sure. Percentage. And uh, when you started at Toulouse six years ago, how many wines were in the portfolio? Oh, geez, I I want to say it was about twelve. Um, and what really was happening at that time is we got ourselves a retail space and started building a wine club. And um, that was uh, really rewarding for the winemaking team because we got to showcase some of this stuff that was often going into bigger blends. And um, uh, we pulled them all back for the first time uh, with an attempt and, and the uh, intent to make a wine club wine specifically from that. So we've got a chance to play with new vineyards and new varietals uh, specifically to, um, I would call it reward, yeah, our, our, our wine club members. We've, we, got, we have really, really loyal wine club members, and we try to make it worthwhile to them. 
we never, I always say, we don't want putting some, some petite Syrah we can't sell. I'm not trying to throw a nap under the bus here, but there's, you know, wine clubs out there that that's where they're unloading some of the stuff they don't know what to do with. <laughs> um, for us, we don't put anything under our label that we're not, you know, really, really excited about. So, and I, you know, we get the question all the time, why aren't you doing, we made a Malbec cab blend off of Red Mountain for a year or two. Um, I'm not going to do it with the 15 vintage. People asking why. I said, well, it's, it's good. It's just not that good. You know, it's mm. not, um, it has to be really outstanding for us to, to showcase it. We feel with those smaller wines. So, uh, wine club exclusive wine. So we're trying to trying to keep people uh, engaged and happy, and you know, getting getting their, uh, you know, getting their Harrison Hill and their their rosé <laughs> and all that as well. But if you're going to be a special bottling, it's going to be a truly special. Bottle. Well, it's cool to hear that from you, especially being you know still a newbie. I, I figure if you're not in Washington for at least a decade, and now that you are, yeah. so you're not necessarily a newbie because you were working in 2004 here for for Chateau Saint Michel. But you've gone, you have. Um, you know, instant credibility because you can say, "Well, I remember. I remember like '97 vintage, '98, yeah. and then '99. Those vintages were there were some uh, challenges then too, and so we yeah. can look back. But I tell you, anytime there's a challenging year, I like to put that wine away because, especially if it's a little cooler. I, mean, I shouldn't say challenging, but it's just like, oh man, we got spoiled. And I think it was a great learning uh, uh, opportunity for us where we didn't have to um, correct our wines as much. Yeah, that's true. And they still showed well, and with a little more restraint, because you didn't have to put more oak, new oak on it, because they didn't have quite the fruit, but they had great structures, so you still didn't need all that oak. And it was a really Bordelais um, style vintage, would you say? I would, yes. 11, especially. I actually brought a 12 red. Well, maybe get a chance to try that later. But the, the 11s are they're still babies, so got to give them a little bit more time. Uh, so we've got two wines today. You said you brought the 2000 and. I brought the t- 2011 uh, Chaleur Blanc and 2012 D2. Uh, the 11 vintage was really, really strong for whites. Yes. Um, super concentrated. Uh, got a long time to hang because it was so cool. Um, and uh, although the uh, the 11 reds are really fantastic, they'll age forever. They're still kind of babies. So I brought a 2012 a little bit more accessible. Awesome. When we come back from this break, uh, we're going to dive into these tasty wines from DeLille Cellars with the winemaker himself, Jason Gorski. Stick around, folks. You're right back on Happy Hour Radio. Big names, big news. Sean Hannity, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Somalia, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, welcome back. Time for round two. Hope you got something tasting your glass, because I've got two glasses. Well, I know it's going to be delicious wine. It's uh, with my new best pal, Jason Gorski, the winemaker for Dillo Cellars. Uh, it's great. I've got I've known Jay Soloff for 20 years, and Greg, and Chris, of course, and uh, it's cool. I also knew uh, Tyson, and yeah. uh, the team, uh, DeLille, has been... Um, a, a leader in our industry, not only for um, for professionalism, but for this great ambassadorship. I mean, when you get to be 25 years old, obviously you've done something well and something right, especially when you can still uh, command such great pricing and uh, demand for your wine. So excited about it! You brought, of course, the 20 th- uh, the 2011 Chaleur Blanc. Or does that still say Chaleur Estate Blanc? Ah, uh, Chaleur Blanc. Now, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we just everyone 
internally always described it as basically Blanc and Chalor. So we decided to just go ahead and make a Chalor Blanc, and the red will be uh, Chalor Estate. I oh. cannot remember what vintage that was. I get them all mixed up. So <laughs> I, think I just had a wine recently, and the Lord said, "Oh, look at that! Pretty cool." Well, one of the uh, earliest renditions or iterations of this classic Bordeaux blend of Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon. Any Muscadel in there? No. Yeah. Uh, okay. No, just Sauvignon Blanc. So. And a little bit of barrel age. Is it fifteen uh, percent new oak, or do you use a little more? Ah, it's uh, this wine actually ends up being a hundred percent in barrel uh, after uh, residual sugar is done. So we're about sixty percent new, depending on the vintage. Wow. Yeah, 20% second fill balance is uh, neutral, and that little bit of stainless fermented just tops after uh, primary fermentation. And I'm trying to remember when this wine came out. I want to say it was 1991, 92? Uh, the winery was founded in 92. I'm going to say it was probably 98. 98, all right. Um, And I can honestly say that the 98 and the 99 are still alive. So there's there's a lot to this wine, and it, it, it ages really, really well. Well, it's so. cool because uh, Rick Small did a, a, Charbonneau, a Charbonneau white blend, which was very, very popular. And I know that uh, in 1998, uh, his assistant winemaker left to form Beauty yeah. Winery, and Caleb Foster made the yeah. uh, Beauty white uh, yeah, semi-assembly blanc. Yeah, some, a little semi-heavier and a little yeah, muscadel in there. Yeah, then it has some muscadel yep. there. They've sort of switched that. Obviously, he's now with uh, Bookwalter Wines. Um, but uh, this is one of my favorite wines, and it's also one of the my most interestingly kind of uh, – it's a conf- conflicting wine because it can assume – a host of different personalities. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde. Some days it's the most beautiful, elegant, crisp, mineral-driven, uh, delicious white wine. And other times it's just a little uh, pungent and uh, angular. And, you know, it, it's like, when do you drink it? And I know for Bordeaux, I mean, the Chateau Carbonu, they're they're getting $75 a bottle. Yeah. And obviously it's Bordeaux and they've got a few more years on us. Um, but this is been a standout and a stalwart of standard great winemaking for a long time and it's true white winemaking is more difficult than red it is I would say I mean it's all about vineyard sourcing and uh, we've been with the same vineyards basically since the beginning so um, you know it for the winemaking team this is probably our most favorite wine to make it's such a change of pace from all the red Um, and all that barrel fermentation basically means that you're monitoring uh, you know rather than being four tanks of, of juice you've got hundreds of barrels and so it's it's a lot of effort to get this done we treat every single barrel separately we don't try to treat the lot mm. as the same um so there's a lot of a lot of love and and, and details in this wine and, and it does it goes through evolutions i've had we, we basically haven't changed our percent oak or our um or our sources or anything over the years and i've had people that have been drinking it for a decade and say hey what what'd you do it's all it's full of oak and it's out of whack i said well just wait a month you know yeah we, we kind of know this one actually reminds me blind a little bit of white burgundy when you right, right as we release it it will absolutely give you that minerality and uh, it sees a lot of oak it's so it's, oak yeah so uh, at first it's just so crisp and until the semillon really starts to come out you kind of get the Sal Blanc of it. It's in, and it's very acidic. It can be angular. Um, but once that Semillon starts to exert its, its presence, you really get, um, you know, the more roundness and more roundness and texture. And there's a weird spot in the middle too. Sometimes you start to get a little bit of Semillon come out and then all of a sudden you got it, you know, um, the wine crawls back inside of itself. And sometimes it does that in, 
you know, six, eight months after bottling. Sometimes it's for a month, sometimes it's for six and weeks. And sometimes but. it's it's a cycle where it doesn't taste great in uh, February, but come June, it's like showing yeah. well each year. It's yeah, like- and, what, and what we really try to do for all of our wines is are basically have them be really nice and showy right at uh, right at release. Yes. And then, um, you know, if they have a more mute stage, they call, call inside themselves a little bit. It's okay. I mean, in Close January, down. February, March, it, you know, white wine is probably not flying off the shelf anyway. <laughs> um, so, and then generally starts to come back out of its shell once it's a little bit warmer outside. Mm. So, yeah. Now, this is, this is a perfect white wine from Washington State. You have the texture. You've got uh, the, the fruit is ripe, but you've got this great line of acidity, which carries... It, the acidity is really the, the spine for white wines, right? Yeah, this absolutely. is the way you put it, and then you can add enough oak, and it's got enough ripeness yeah. of flesh. And, of course, the alcohol, um, it's its not high. It's probably 14.2. I'm going to look now, because this was really cold vintage. Just 13.1. 13.1. Yeah, I think that's it's probably pretty darn accurate. Um, a lot of great this this wine in particular is all about acidity. We do so much to, as I always describe it as, you know, trick your palate and thinking it's sweet. We put it in barrels. Like I go through ML, we stir the lees, we're doing all these mm. things that make all that great mouth coating presence. But that acid, you man. need you need mouth water. You you know I I call it the reptile brand. You you take a sip, you love it. It's mouth watering, but it closes dry, and you go back for another sip because you remember that mouth watering acidity that's at its core, and that balance is really something that I mean even in a year like eleven, which was very cool, yes, and lots of natural acidity. I remember distinctly looking at the the balance of this wine over and over and over again. It's the one wine we we obsess about all the details of all of our wines when it really comes to the acidity of Schiller Blanc. We look time and time again to make sure that we're we have it where we want it. That's to be. important. And uh, there's no malolactic here because you're preserving that. It's right? actually it's actually 100 malolactic. No yeah. way, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I've been looking for more and more around this. We I mean, oh really blow goodness. that out. Yeah, that's that's the intent with this wine is just to give you. You know all the weight and yes. uh, of Lee's presence and oh, and awesome. yeah, and that's uh you know that's what we look for for old world winemaking where you get this texture with which but you've got new oak on it so it's it's really evolving and showing beautifully I I think uh, white wine like this c- could be our future because there's only like two or three people that make really really great Chardonnay I mean yeah. really great that you can say you know what I would drink this every day. And, the uh, thing about Chardonnay in Washington State, though, is those vineyards are getting aged now. Yes. And I think that's one of the I, – 10 years ago, I would have been right there with you and just said, hey, you know, one or two, okay, great. Uh, you know, shout to San Michelle's making really, really good Chardonnays for a really long time. But now some of those vineyards are getting significant age on them. So it's not just production vineyards we're talking about. People have smaller uh, – Vineyards are looking for higher quality, and there's there's some there's some potential there. Uh, we'll see. Well, well see. I know that Brennan Layton with Sixto Chardonnay. Uh, I tasted that back in 2013. Yeah, um, he brought over some, and his Sauvignon Blanc was great too. Of course, he was a white winemaker, Shadow Semichel, the yeah. same lineage you have, and he was there when you were there. Uh, really cool. So, you think this is the this is the 19th vintage then, or this was the 18th vintage? Wait, no, this is the 11th. So uh, yeah, yeah, minus <laughs> I'm losing minus this. six. All right, I can't even count. Yeah. Forget it. Um, well, let's count some dollars. What, what can we get? This is this. Uh, this is obviously available because you're it's a pretty big production wine. Yeah, yes, yeah, one of our biggest uh, D two. Actually, the other wine I brought with me today is uh, the only other wine that we make uh, more of. So it's it's around. You find it all throughout Seattle, and we're 
uh, in most grocery stores and hopefully in lots of bottle shops and, and restaurants. And restaurants, yeah, yeah. It's great. I think it's one of those wines that when you think about uh, Sauvignon Blanc, it, it has a, a very uh, rich tradition here on the on the West Coast, obviously with uh, Mandavi and Tocolon yeah. Vineyard and their Fumé Blanc, but that extended with through through cake bread and broth and, um, you know, I don't know who else is making it down there because I just don't drink. It's a little tropical for me sometimes. Yep. Um, but this is beautiful. If we could do this every year... Come on, global warming. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you know this this wine with that little global bit of, cooling is what we need. Maybe may this 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 I, I like the lower alcohol uh, uh, this style, and I think that's one of the challenges we have with the warmer vintages. Of course, you can still get. Um, you know, we we use some Eclipsin fruit here, so we use mm. uh, Sauvignon and Semillon in here. Which planted in '83, I think yeah, they started yeah, that. Yeah, and I think yeah, Sauvignon was. I mean, there's some monster monster trunks out there. Um, you know, so you get really. And and I think uh, Sage Marbacca's Sauvignon Blanc, which is sort of the the core of this wine, is even older. So you know this that you have some older vines here, giving you great depth of flavor. Um, and even in those warmer years, uh, some of those tropical flavors I was, where I was going with Clipson yeah. uh, really add add to the overall complexity. And that's really what I'm kind of hoping for from that Sauvignon Blanc from Clipson specifically. Uh, let that you know looking for a little bit more tropical flavor since it's a smaller part portion of the blend. And how many vineyards go into this blend typically? Um, it is now just three. It's, just three? Uh, Sagemore, Bacchus, uh, Clipson, and Boucher. And Boucher is yeah. the Semillon? Uh, both uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon for okay. that. Yeah, the Semillon is, is uh, one of, uh, you know, doesn't matter whether it's warm or not, Boucher's uh, Semillon really helps keep the alcohol in check too. So that's, oh. it's, it's, it works really well in the blend. Awesome. Well, yeah. I can tell you uh, our next wine is going to be D2. When we come back from this break, we're going to dive into uh, one of the the greatest production wines, I think, that's come out. It, it was, looking back at the history of Jalil, we can learn marketing. And it's always 2020 when you look backwards. But to do the D2, to have this wine to be a uh, an affordable alternative to the Chaleur Estate Rouge or this, this Chaleur Yes. It's called Chaleur. Chaleur. Yeah, we call it yeah, Chaleur State. Yeah. And um, this was great because everyone was able to embrace it. Because same winemaking, great vineyards, and uh, I'm sure it's a great wine. It's the 2012 vintage of uh, DeLille Cellars D2 with Jason Korski right here on Happy Eye Radio. Stick around, folks. We'll be right back on 570 KVI. back and he's in charge kirby wilbur live and local weekdays nine to noon talk radio 570 kvi kvi want to know weekends time for another round of happy hour radio with christopher chan all right time for round three and uh well i've got one glass of wine hope you got something more in yours or drinking something tasty uh jason gorski the winemaker for delil cellars he got here in uh 2011 at delil but arrived in washington in 2004 uh, all the way from new jersey uh what exit were you on right that's what we like to kid and uh it's almost to be like i-5 i mean what exit of i-5 these days yeah. um d2 it is uh named after the uh the route uh what's it called this the d2 national route right it yep. goes through uh the bordeaux area from yep. uh the left bank down to the city of bordeaux i believe um and it's it's a bordeaux blend uh and it's it's been a did you declassify grapes How, what's the story with d2 yeah back in the day 92 was the founding of the winery and it was uh basically two wines uh Chalor state and whatever didn't make Chalor state 
and I guess in year one, it would it, uh, Shalora ended up being cab heavy, and that's kind of a tradition we've had for bait. Basically, 20, 24 vintages that we've blended now. Um, we try to make a more low dominated blend here. Um, over the years, it's definitely gained a lot of momentum by itself. This is our, um, you know, our stalwart. People know this. People that know this wine will come back to it time and time again. And over the course of twenty plus years, um, it's not quite a declassified blend anymore. But it's become um, its own. It's become its own. So we get some. We know it's Merlot dominant. So we get a bunch of Merlot that we do know is aimed straight here. Um, but there's also um, if we call it uh, stuff that's on the cutting room floor for for uh, other cuvées. There's also cab that may may uh, trickle its way all the way down into here. That's really high quality. So one of the things we talk about all the time is it, what makes this wine great is it's uh, is really just its its quality for the price. It's really we want this to be a value. We put a lot of a lot of love into this, and then you know most of the wine that's in there we're you know, aiming at a higher price point wine. Um, I think one of the hallmarks signatures for people's affinity to love this D2 is that it had a softness and that Merlot was obviously soft but you had this it's very smooth and delicious and the tannin never hit you the tannin hit me here just mid palate and then it disappeared softly which I thought oh my goodness this tastes a little more tannic but then it's gone and so you've been able to master this tannin management which is which is important for any Bordeaux blend of course but um is this mostly Merlot dominant, and then it's Cab, or is it Cab Franc? It's Cab, it's Cab. It's Merlot first, then Cab. Uh, Cab Franc, a little bit of Petit Verdot. Um, and now, nowadays, that we have more more Malbec in house, there's uh, it's flirting flirting with being in the blend every year. Um, yeah, so it's generally fifty five to sixty percent Merlot. There's been vintages where Merlot got damaged due to freeze, etc. There's been there's been certainly been variants, but the the prototype uh, percentage is you know fifty fifty seven fifty eight percent is really where we're trying to. You know, on paper, aim it every year if you want to put it that way, um, and that really maintains the red fruit, the accessibility, and uh, there's plenty of structure from. Actually, I feel like the 15 merlots are more structured than some of the cabs. It almost feels that way. Uh-huh. Very structured red uh, on the merlot side, and and the, you know we we definitely go out of our way to manage uh, tannin. But a lot of our a lot of our cab, vast majority of our cab is red mountain, which is very tannic ABA. So um, we're all about managing tannins uh, in the winery to help make these wines more what makes the tannin on red mountain so challenge so thick or so bold so powerful is it is it the soil or is it's it just the heat? it's soil heat there's you know there's windier sites to keep those berry sizes small um it just it seems to be the hallmark of the ava and you know that it's great power you know it's certain avas like horse seven hills i would say maybe accentuate fruit a little bit more red mountain cab tends to be you know more say on the more savory side definitely on the tannic side so um and I, I'm a, I'm a fan of of working in the winery. I'm fond of saying what we're trying to do is just help the vineyard express itself. So what whether it's a cold year or a warm year, we're trying to find the best expression of that vineyard. We don't we, although we have our own style. It's really about treating each block um, as a separate individual and and trying to help it uh, show its 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 strengths the best you can. Have you been to all of the AVAs in Washington State? I say I've been to most of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's ancient lakes. Uh, yes, once. Went but, to the gorge. The uh, yeah, I mean, they went to the concert. Yeah. I guess that's right. <laughs> well, uh, and it's grown all the time, right? So, you know. Yes. Um, have you ventured, looked into the uh, now uh, the vaunted uh, rocks district of Milton Freewater? Uh, yeah. So uh, my time in uh, Walla Walla, I was with Spring Valley and uh, actually sister winery North Star got some fruit from Anna Marie, which is down in that rocks district area. So. Uh, familiar with the AVA from from working there, it was all state when I was at Spring Valley. But obviously, it's a, a bike ride away. 
Um, so uh, I, I've never been to that winery. I know it's out there oh, yeah. somewhere. It's, 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 it's just north. It's north of the airport, about two miles as the crow flies. Oh, is that it? Yeah, it's very. Cl- it's not that easy to get to. Because we're but. close to the airport for our Yellowbird Vineyard in yeah. Walla Walla, right next to uh, Upland's Leonetti Vineyard. Yeah. And but I tell you, you get there in Walla Walla, like, oh, this place is so pretty. I don't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a but I gotta check it out. I mean, you know, I'm an event sommelier. I want to learn about Washington, and, and it's funny. As much as even the Seattle Wine Awards, we taste a lot of wine, and that's my opportunity to really in, enjoy or to uh, learn and explore the AVAs of Washington State. But I think you got to take really probably ten days to to make it worthwhile to stop, yeah. or maybe it's thirteen, fourteen days to a, a stop in everywhere. Of course, Columbia Valley is you could be Yakima. It's kind of I mean, yeah. But you got to go to Sagemore. Yeah. Top ten vineyards. Do you have some favorites? Oh jeez. Um, well, we have our own state vineyards. So I'm gonna start there. And and it's easy to say that I'm just championing Delo here, but but obviously Seal Cheval is one of my absolute favorite vineyards. Been around forever. 1972 Jim Holmes. Absolutely. And some just really fantastic stuff. When you taste some of our cab uh, for our Chalor blend, it's it's actually been one block from from Seal for 25 years. And when you try it on its own that guy by itself just in my taste you know so we say this is Shalor. so there's just you know there's there's a great partnership between wineries and vineyards and um you know for us it's it's been teal and 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 when i first saw cl cheval i you you have this oh it's you know horse in the sky um or part of the horse seven hills it's not though it's right it's uh it's part of the red mountain it is it is yeah and when you get there and you look at it you're actually looking down on it you're like Really? Yeah. It's, that's where it is. That's, Wait a second. That doesn't make any sense. That's just like some random spot, man. Yeah. And once you and once you get there and walk those vineyards enough, just feeling how the air flows. I, I've driven. Uh, if you go to Sagemore Bacchus and you're coming heading back west, I've seen rainstorms go around the mountain. <laughs> like you just so it has its own little pocket. Wow. Um, and it's it's really special that way. And different breezes on the west side, the south side. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we for us, we've been with Seal Boucher. Sagemore, um, Clipson. These are vineyards that we've been with for for a quarter century now. So those relationships. Uh, uh, Harrison Hill was probably late '90s. So we've been with three generations of and the that new house was family now. '62, I think. Yeah, '62. Right? So we get 1962 planting Cabernet from there. Just uh, crazy, weird, wild, amazing stuff. Yeah, and it's um, Harrison Hill has been really a, a nice foil to the. Um, the Schlur Estate Red. I Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so it's actually the different. same blend. It's just about six miles apart as a crow flies. But uh, Snipes Mountain AVA versus Red Mountain AVA, um, and uh, just yeah, it's just try to make it stylistically different. And uh, even though it's exactly the same blend, again, it, Harrison just expresses itself. There's really no, you, you, there's nothing you can do to stop it. <laughs> my my first my first vintage uh, eleven, it was. It was such a cool vintage, and these old vines that are, you know, quite frankly, have some red berry and some, some leaf roll and everything else. So, you know, the fruit shows up, and you, you, when you squeeze it, when it's dry, it looks like Pinot. And oh, really? I was, I told Chris, I said, you know, there's no way I'm putting this in 100% new oak. There's no way it's going to handle it. And he said, okay, I understand. You already put it in here. Or, no, I'd already put it in less. <laughs> and he said, you know, but when you rack it, when it's dry, so we, you know, generally December or January. He said, "You're taste the wine, and I think you'll change your mind." And sure enough, you know, three months later, I was just like, right, "It's it sucked it up. It was doing totally fine." So uh, every year now, regardless of vintage, that that '62 planting, for how delicate it appears to be, can can really handle itself. Let's put it that way. It's really exciting, um, and what a, a pleasure for you to be in a position to uh, to have the tutelage 
of a Chris Up Church to have the uh, skill set of the the partners uh, around you to to work this this successful enterprise over the quarter of a century yeah, now. Yeah, quarter century. And um, I think there's designs. I mean. Every winery gets reached the point where they're. What's the secession plan? And right. I know that they have some bigger partners now, and yeah. I'm sure that's going to be involved in it. Uh, and uh, at some point, you probably want to retire because working in the wine business is a labor of love and a lot of labor. Yeah, a lot, absolutely. <laughs> and working and running around and um, you know pressure and uh, you never stop. It's funny. You think you get a break and you get a couple weeks here and there, Maybe. right? You know, Maybe. It's not, we're going to Hawaii because I know the, they're not weeping yet, so we can head out. And you're going to go on a, a vacation soon. Um, what do you like to drink in the world? Um, for for wine, we're mostly French in my house. Uh, you know, after Columbia Valley all day long, you kind of you want to you want to just you want to change the pace. And uh, depending on the time of year, lots of beer. Um, when the sun finally comes out around here, it's generally uh, gin for a little bit, and then uh, oh, after harvest, uh, bourbon. So you I've, know, I go I go through my cycles, and it's you right. know, come back to wine generally around Thanksgiving. You know, take a little bit of time off. I love it. Well, we're gonna have one more segment here, it's just for a couple minutes. We're gonna chat more, and I want to talk more about the D two where people can find it. I'm sure it's ubiquitous, but for those people who are just now tuning in, uh, welcome <laughs> welcome to the show. Uh, speaking with Jason Gorski, the winemaker for Delos Cellars up there in Woodenville. It's the celebrating the 25th uh, vintage, right? Is it 20th yep. vintage? Yep. And uh, we've got uh, a little more time, so stick around, folks. Be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 10 a.m. Talk Radio 570, KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, welcome back. Time for our fourth and final segment uh, in Boohoo, because I love this DeLil wine I'm tasting. Uh, the DeLil D2, the 2012 vintage, showing beautifully. It's about in that $45 range, I think, if you're out and about. Uh, and if you join the wine club, perhaps you get a little discount, I'm Absolutely. sure. And Jason Gorski is the winemaker. And how you started with 12 wines in 2011 when you got there. How many wines are you producing? Uh, we're generally uh, 16 to 16 to 18, depending on how many club wines we right. want to show off and uh, how much how much our, our, our wine club manager and, and tasting room manager want us to make. <laughs> Oh really? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It's so sometimes it's uh, you know we've we've had some great success with that. We we made uh, geez uh, I must say it was 150 or 200 case Cabernet blend from the 2010 vintage that uh, sold out over the weekend. We released it at the club. So uh, the the club release weekend. And yeah. Now, and now uh, we make we went and sourced more Red Mountain fruit to make a specifically Red Mountain Cabernet. So our four flags blend. So it's grown from you know 200 cases over three years. It it, it grew quite a bit. Uh, very very successful. So it's it's a great thing for us to you know to again showcase some of the stuff that. You know, I, I hate to, to denigrate D2, but say that it was only going to D2. Um, that was really how the conversation started back in 2011. Actually started with a block of Merlot that due to the cold vintages, cold vintage uh, maybe underperformed a little bit. And Chris was like, ah, maybe we should get rid of it. And I said, well, before we talk about that, let's talk about all this great cab that, you know, that goes it just goes into D2. And he said, well, yeah, that's why D2 is great. Like, I agree, but, like, let's show it off. Like, we shouldn't be talking about, you know, dropping pretty good Merlot for D2. Let's let's show off some of this. What what makes Red Mountain great? Show off some of these Red Mountain vineyards that we've got a little bit left over every year, and let's see if D two can can handle 
that cab going somewhere else and, and now we sort of design programs around that and it's our, our wine club members love it and you can find that wine uh, pretty much nationwide now so yes uh and it's great it's a, it's another great um example of fine washing the wine and people get it I'm sure it turns heads and does well. And we're lucky enough to have a great Psalm community throughout uh, the United States. We've got um, uh, we've got Eric Siegelbaum in Washington, D.C. Yeah. We've got David Morris in uh, New York. Um, and we've got my that sweetheart, and she just moved to Florida. Um, and she was from Chicago. Gosh, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. But it's great. We've got these points around uh, the country that people have uh, – well, believe in the gospel of Washington yeah, wine. Absolutely, I think once you get in customers' mouth, it's all over. That's that's the the big, the big thing we talk about all the time. It's it's Washington first, and you know, I, you know Sam Michelle has been saying that forever, and I think it's absolutely true at at all quality levels, all price points. And a lot of times, you are you know, it's it's Washington education first, and it's great value here. It has been for what twenty years, best domestic value period. Washington State most ninety point wines under thirty dollars or fifty dollars or whatever it was. We we kicked. Napa's butt, and we kick Sonoma's butt on value, quality, the price quality ratio, and uh, and expandability. This is the thing I talk about all the time because one of the things that you you touched on is that you know uh, Delil has changed a little bit after twenty five years, and we brought on uh, an investor to help us grow. And you know, first thing I talked about is can can you really make more? Uh, yeah, we can make more and make it better. It gives us access to vineyards that maybe we couldn't go after before. Um, and I just, I just believe in the capability of Washington State, and I tell it to everybody. I think we can make. I don't, don't want to, you know, bite off more than I can chew here, but I, the capability is here in Washington State. Great vineyard land, great people. Uh, we all, we, and we we're just on that. over fifty thousand acres. Yeah. Where Napa's got a hundred thousand alone, and so we've got so much more to grow. I'm sure. We'll, I'm sure at some point Puget Sound will actually have a little rain shadow like Squim or something, where yeah. we'll, we'll be growing some cool grapes. Well, uh, you've got a, a t- an event tomorrow, and um, I'm not sure if it's sold out, but it is really the spring barrel tasting at the chateau, which it's actually is at the winery. At the winery, so that's yeah. what I mean. Yes, yeah. at the at the winery because that's your. It's actually where we produce the wine. Yeah, the Chateau was the original space. Yes. So where is the winery? The winery's in Woodenville. Yeah. And as I'm fond of saying, uh, its location is part of its security. We and we invite the we invite the uh, the general public um, just once a year for this event. So it's uh, we've been doing it for oh gosh 20 years. We used to be at the Chateau. Yes. Actually, taste wine from barrel. Um, and stuff that we're about to bottle, so it's 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 really. But fun now for you the have more team. more customers on the wine list, and you have to accommodate and make it easy because everybody wants to have a, an enjoyable experience driving out to Woodenville. Yeah, on and that day. and it's a, I mean it doesn't seem like it while you're you know scrubbing every corner of the winery, but it's great for the winemaking team to be able to show off their space. So I think for us, it's gotten to that point where, like I said, once a year people come in and say, you know, this is this is where we put all the love and passion in this stuff. It's like so. a famous restaurant. You want to see a clean kitchen when oh, you yeah. go yeah, there absolutely. too. Yeah. Uh, well, what a treat! It's uh, the Spring Barrel and Tasting and Rosé release is tomorrow, May twenty first, uh, at the winery. DeLilleCellars.com is where you'll find it. Taste the twenty sixteen Rosé, and that is a, a Rhone style Rosé. It is uh, generally Grenache uh, dominated uh, with some Mouvet and Cinso in there. So uh, no Sonia either. So we. Pick that two-baker rosé out of it and, and squeeze it right away. Any oak on that? 
I know we're all neutral on that. All right, I remember tasting it, and I was really, really envious that you could command twenty-five plus dollars for rosé. Finally, yes, Washington State. That's what I aspire to as well. Well, Jason Gorsi, thanks so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, uh, I appreciate your winemaking. Look forward to many more great vintages. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Right on, folks. Hey, hope you enjoyed the show. Um, next week we're going to have uh, Steve Metzler and Sherry. This the story of Manzanilla. It's great with oysters on Happy Hour Radio. Stick around. Oh wait, not stick around. Tune in next time on Happy Hour Radio. And uh, remember, folks, life's always better with the designated driver. Cheers! Cheers!